I will be reading from Genesis chapter 17. You're welcome to simply listen along or to turn there to Genesis 17, 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. We turn now to our New Testament text, which is from Matthew. We're turning back the clock a little bit. And looking at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam the father of Abijah. And Abijah the father of Asaph. And Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. And Joram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah the father of Jotham. And Jotham the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz the father of Hezekiah and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah with the father was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. 
and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This ends the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the word of God, its certainty and truth. And now, O Lord, may the meditations of our hearts, the words of my mouth, be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we're turning back the clock because in our uh, sequence, we have been in Matthew chapter 11, and I do want to return to Matthew chapter 11, uh, which I will uh, quite a bit later, because I want to make sure that the two sermons remaining in chapter 11, uh, because of the two passages interrelation, that they're next door to each other. So we're stepping back into the beginning of Matthew. Uh, I did not preach uh, through this passage, but uh, Pastor Charles Williams, who came before, he did. Uh, I wasn't here at the time, so it didn't count. Uh, I'm sure it counted. I'm sure he did a wonderful job. Uh, but I, I want to make a couple of points here. We are thinking about the birth of our Lord, and I think this is the place to start. It is the place where Matthew starts. You will, you will note in verse 18, Matthew, verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So obviously, this, this genealogy lays the foundation for the birth of Christ. So we're thinking about the birth of Christ at this time of year, a good thing to think about at all times of the year, but particularly now it's fine, it's a good excuse to think about the birth of Christ uh, at this time, and this is the foundation for it. This is the place where the groundwork is laid. Uh, and we have the reading of all of these names, uh, and you have to hear me you know, pronounce all these names. You, have, you hear this whole cascade of names. And by the way, children, do you think God knows you by name? He knows people like Shealtiel, of all things. He knows people by name. These are his people. He has their names recorded so that you would know he pays attention to people. His people are on record as his people. These are mine and I know them by name. That's what we have in this text, a demonstration that God knows his people by name, and he has that record, this recorded for us to say that. And God is the God of real people. Think about a genealogy like this that I've learned over time, is a genealogy is actually one of the most important ways to open a gospel. Obviously, Matthew thinks that, and I, we have to be instructed by him on that. And part of it is, when you start thinking about what this genealogy is doing, once I say the names of these biblical people, like uh, Rahab, your mind just kind of, it's like, it's like a blossom of all the story of, you know, of Rahab in the Old Testament. Or Solomon, who was born from the wife of Uriah. All of this you know, the story of that just, 
is what's carried by the name and by just a few words that he puts in there, the deportation of Babylon, which he repeats. Uh, so all the story of God's people, it's all encoded here. It's in, a, in essence, what Matthew is showing you is the entire Old Testament has taken place all the way up to this point, and now you have the birth of Jesus Christ. Now we have the fruition, the, uh, the climax of all that uh, time, and then a new beginning with Christ Jesus, because he brings it all to completion. He is the focus of attention in that Genesis 17 passage. Uh, this is what Paul says in Galatians 3, that the the promise came to, a to Abraham and to his offspring, and the offspring is Christ, is what, what Paul says in Galatians 3. Here we have uh, that really being portrayed clearly. This gives us a really broad sweep of history, and it's history with real people. Now, let's just make some observations on the nature of this genealogy that's pretty clear. First one is... Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is of a royal seed. Uh, this is made clear uh, when he begins, interestingly, not with Abraham, but with David in verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, and then of Abraham. And then he goes back to chronological uh, sequence, starting with Abraham, leading up to David. So David, Abraham, Abraham, David. You can see the, the uh, sequence there. But he does that because what he's going to say is Jesse, verse uh, 6, the father of David, the king. And this is because you may not uh, remember this all the time, but you should, that when, when Abraham, Abraham, when Matthew says, verse 16, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ, that's a title. We tend to think of Jesus Christ as a name, and Christ is his second name, when actually it's a title, Jesus the Messiah. It is a royal title. It's like saying Jesus the King. Uh, he is the Messianic King. Uh, and that's, that's what you have to keep in mind because the word Christ or Messiah means anointed one. And in, in former days, including with David, you anoint a king. It was a sign of his entering into his office as king. So Christ is the anointed one, the royal son of David, who bears this title of Messiah. So in the Gospel of Matthew, you will notice that Jesus does not use the title Christ or Messiah of himself much. There's a reason for that, and if you want to know the reason, you'll have to come back for later sermons on Matthew, because <laughs> I will tell you. All right, I'll tell you now. It's because Jesus prefers this title Son of Man because he can give it the meaning that he wants, not what other people uh, want to really put on him that are not quite as informative of what he really is doing as Messiah, giving his life a ransom for many. Uh, they didn't expect that of the Messiah. 
So this is a royal title, and the organization of the genealogy makes that really clear, opening with David, and then kind of in the, at the end of the first section, climaxing with David the king, and then David is repeated again in the middle of verse 6, uh, leading on to uh, the fact that you have the birth of the Messiah. So Christ, as Messiah, uh, comes from David. But we also see here that he's the son and the seed of Abraham. He's that one who's portrayed in Genesis 17. This is not something accidental that came up, but that promise to Abraham was in light of God sending his own son in the form of a man, a true man, incarnate son, uh, as the seed of Abraham. He is that offspring. And so there's this, it starts out in verse uh, 2. First of all, it says the son of David, the son of Abraham. Then it starts out in verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, etc. So there you have this starting out with Abraham. Uh, interesting that Luke goes back to Adam, who is the son of God, with Matthew goes back to Abraham. What's the point of this? Well, it's because Christ comes really as the climax of Israel's history. Uh, and that's a main point in Matthew, that Matthew is going to then develop as his gospel unfolds. The Christ is the real Israel. He's the one who brings in the promises given to Israel and fulfills the mandate of Israel. And that mandate is told to Abraham in chapter 12. I am the Lord your God. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. But then he says this, in you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And that blessing of Abraham, again, if you want to see this, Galatians 3, that blessing of Abraham comes in the form of Christ Jesus. He is, as it were, the blessing of Abraham incarnate. He brings the blessing of Abraham to the nations. Well, here we are as proof of that. Brothers and sisters, we are not in the land of Palestine. We are not in the land of Canaan where Abraham walked. We're not in that part of the world. Here we are, and we're drawn from people from throughout the world, brought together in this place. Uh, and that is a sign that this promise was fulfilled, that the Spirit of God hovers over the whole earth, bringing many into fellowship with this Messiah, Jesus, so that we would be blessed along with him. We are here for a blessing. God has assembled us today for a blessing that the gospel of the grace in Christ Jesus would so infuse our lives that we are people with hope now. We are drawn from the world so that we might be God's people. And notice what he says to Abraham, and I will be their God. That's what he says to you. I am your God through Christ Jesus. This is something repeated through Scripture. It is actually one of the main themes of Scripture. Uh, and so Christ is the seed of Abraham. He has come to bring that blessing of Abraham to all the nations. In you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Now we find this in uh, chapter 2 of Matthew, verses 13 through 15. Let me read that. 
Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. This is uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And notice that, out of Egypt, I have called my son. God declares, out of Egypt, I have called my son. That was actually said of, of Israel. But now, the ultimate fulfillment of that is in Christ Jesus. He is the son of God, protected from the wrath of men, what can they do against God? And God has protected his son so that he would come back into the land to be this blessing of the nation, disseminating out from that center. So notice how in our text, going back to the genealogy, notice in verse 5, we have these uh, these women in particular who are Gentiles, both of them in verse 5, Rahab and Ruth. Now, when we think of Rahab, we think of her profession. But here, it's, we should really think of her as a Gentile, someone who is not Jewish, brought into the line. She is brought into the people of God by faith uh, in the promises. And that's what Rahab did. She believed God. Uh, and she uh, was a savior of herself and her household. Uh, this is something picked up in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And then you see Ruth here. Uh, there, there's no greater story than Ruth in the Bible. Uh, particularly, there's no greater confession of faith. My God, or your God was, is my God. Your people is my people. You know, this is, this is her confession of faith. She professes the name of the God of Naomi. This is, this is my God too. I am yours. I'm your daughter. Uh, and I will not abandon you. This was Ruth's confession of faith. Her loyalty to, to love God with heart, mind, soul, and strength is on display here for everybody to see. She's a Gentile. She's an outsider. She had no claim upon God, but she claimed God for herself, and God honored her. And look where she is. <laughs> She's in the line from Abraham to the Christ, the seed of Abraham. She's in the line. So is Rahab. They are now part of the line, this holy line, the line of Israel producing the Messiah. These women are blessed by God and given this holy function to be part of this unbreaking, unbroken chain of people from one generation to the next generation, that God is naming his people and, and shaping their lives so that they will be part of the blessing of the nations through the Christ. And that includes these Gentile women. And then you also see in this genealogy the failure of national Israel, the reason why the Messiah had to come. 
And it's, it's seen here in Judah and his brothers, verse 2. Again, your, your mind should kind of explode with the story of Judah and his brothers. What is it that Judah and his brothers really are known for in relation to Jacob, uh, Joseph? Judah and his brothers and Joseph. They sold him into slavery. They threw him into a pit. And they sold their brother into slavery. This is Judah and his brothers. What did they do to deserve God's favor? They sold their brother as a slave and essentially murdered him. This is, this is something that you should think about when you, when you hear Judah and his brothers. It's the same thing with uh, Jeconiah and his brothers. Now, Jeconiah is known as Jeconiah the captive in First Chronicles. This is in verse 11. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. We don't know about any brothers of Jeconiah elsewhere in the Bible. I think the brothers here are the rest of the family of Israel, all of his people. Jeconiah is the king, and all of his brothers are all these fellow Israelites, men and women, who are taken off on the deportation to Babylon, which was God's judgment upon Israel. So here, the judgment of Israel is on the whole people. Uh, and that's in verse 11 here. And notice, uh, again, in verse 12, after the deportation to Babylon. There's this focus on the deportation to Babylon. Twice we're told that. This is something that we're, that's being underlined for us. This is the failure of the Israelites to keep God's law. In the day that you break my commandments, I will deport you from the land. This is, this is Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, a number of passages in Scripture where God uh, prophesies that they will violate his law to such an extent that he, it will eventually lead to their deportation from the promised land. And so there's this focus. It also appears in verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. It's interesting, isn't it? You have these 14, 14, and 14. How much does that add up to? Six sevens. What six sevens? Six sevens is the 49-year cycle leading to the final 70th year, which is the year of Jubilee. So Matthew is telling you the year of Jubilee, Leviticus 25, has come. The six sevens has resulted in the uh, Jubilee year arriving with the Messiah. This is the time of fulfillment. And now the genuine Savior has come. Brothers and sisters, what you see in a genealogy like this is something that's, uh, that is... We confess it Sunday after Sunday, but here it is in biblical truth that he's one of us. He's born of the Virgin Mary. He was begotten of a, of a mother, the Son of God, true God, very God of very God, light from light. He was begotten, not made, and yet 
Here he is begotten. He is a true human being, and he's one of us. He's one of us even in our sin and fallenness. He, he didn't come after we finally purified ourselves enough to be worthy of his coming. He came in the midst of a broken people, and he came to be a blessing to his people out of all of this brokenness. You see the brokenness in this genealogy. These are real people. Solomon, the wife born of the wife of Uriah. Solomon, born of the wife of Uriah to David, born out of adultery. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar. By Tamar. This is, this is a, a Savior who came to save his people from their sins. And he came as one of us. He is one of us. He was born of this line, not of some purified line, but this line. He came to identify with us and to give his life a ransom for many, all of his people. It's interesting, the line stops with Jesus. It doesn't say, then begotten of Jesus was so-and-so. There's no begottenness following uh, in the genealogy. Because Jesus had no children. Uh, he took no wife, and he had no children. The line seems to stop there. Let me read to you Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 32. Let me read this for you. Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The firstborn from the dead, our great elder brother, shares out his inheritance with all of his children, with all of his siblings, all of his brothers. That's you. He has shared out all things, the new creation, resurrection, glory, and life everlasting in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the blessing that he came to bestow upon us. And he does have a family. He has a family right here in this room. And he has a family in other rooms throughout the world, just like ours. With a, with a gathering of people who profess his name. We are his children, born out of uh, life everlasting through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because God... It's the God of people.
That's what this genealogy shows you. He knows his people by name. Amen. We thank you, Almighty God, things too wonderful for us that you should send your own son to be a sacrifice for us all that we might have everlasting life in him. We thank you and we bless you. We pray that our songs will adorn our thanks as we look to you to express our love and gratitude through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.